Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Well, amen. So I want to have you open for a second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, and we'll get to it in a few minutes, but I want to share a message, and in my heart it's one message, and it's all prepared, but it's way too long for one service, so it's going to be a few messages, and the title of the message, this is part one, is The Love, The, the Love of the truth. And it comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10 that talks about people who do not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And what I want to do is go through the entire book of 2 Thessalonians together, which is not very long, so don't get too worried that this will be going on as long as Hebrews has been going on for the Bible study, and by the way, I was really sorry that we had to cancel last Wednesday evening because of the snow, and, uh, but it was probably a good idea, because if we had showed up out there in that red van and that thing had come in, I think we would have been stuck out there, but whatever, just to be safe, we canceled, because man, I had some really good notes ready, and I'm ready to do it, but we'll get back together in a couple of weeks, three week, three weeks, well, two weeks from this, from this Wednesday, and we'll plow on through Hebrews until the end. We've got a lot more to go. Well, not a lot more to go, but a lot of good stuff. The best part of it is coming, is coming up. So we're going to be going through 2 Thessalonians, and I'll probably just continue this Sunday after Sunday unless the Lord interrupts with something else. Uh, but we will, we will finish it. And uh, so I, I'm telling you that ahead of time. So if you want to spend some time in your personal Bible reading, and by the way, that, I'm just going to say it again, the message that John preached last week was so important for this new year, and it was so powerful for this new year. And I went home and watched Pastor Kevin McMullen and their service in Kansas City when I got home, because I, I try to watch that every week, or at least listen to the sermon part. And, and it was a completely different sermon, but... The Lord had him really emphasizing for about 10 minutes in that sermon the importance of daily Bible reading in this new year. Because if we do not receive the love of the truth, then we are not being saved. And we are being deceived. And that's how the Antichrist, how the spirit of the Antichrist deceives us today. Which, by the way, is why um, I wanted uh, Sherry to make that announcement, not to tell you that you have to be a Republican. You, you can vote however you want to vote, but because there is a deception and a lot of confusion, and we, we deserve better than that. We shouldn't be confused when we're going to vote, especially for the President of the United States. We should know what's going on and have that knowledge, and so thank you, Sherry, for, for sharing that. So the title of the, the, these messages is The Love of the truth. But before 
we look at 2 Thessalonians, I want to read a, a verse, two verses from John chapter 21. From John chapter 21. And you can open that or just, just listen. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. And this is when he confirms um, Peter three times. Remember, Peter denied him three times. And then he comes to him and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And three times he asks him this question. And then in verse 18, the red letters continue, and Jesus is still speaking personally to Peter. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, John's explaining, now this Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death he, Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, to Peter, follow me. Well, I was reading this passage of scripture just last week in my private Bible reading time, and this really just grabbed a hold of my heart. These words, follow me. Jesus had just told Peter that you're, if you follow me, Peter, see, sometimes we think being a disciple of Jesus means that that's going to be a life of increasing freedom. But what Peter, what Peter is told by Jesus is that it's a life where the way is narrow and it's going to keep getting more and more narrow. And very few people will find it. But when you were younger, he says, then you used to gird yourself and go wherever you wanted to. That's a, another way of saying when you were younger, you just had complete freedom. And you enjoyed your freedom and you loved your freedom. And life was good. But as you follow me in your old age, you're going to reach this time. And he's not talking about some physical disability that Peter's going to have. But if you follow me, then you're going to be eventually arrested you're going to be bound in chains and you're going to be led to a place that you do not want to go and we know from history that peter was also crucified as was jesus and jesus prophesied he spoke this ahead of time that they will you will stretch out your arms that you will also be crucified but that in this death you will glorify me as we follow jesus our life should be and will be, if we are following him, a life that becomes more and more uh, narrow. See, the thing about the truth is the truth is very narrow-minded, <laughs> if you will. And, and uh, there, there's no such thing as your truth and my truth. And that's how the world looks at things today. There's your truth, there's my truth, there's his truth, there's her truth. That then is not truth by definition. Now there is my point of view concerning truth and your point of view, and none of us have achieved uh, a complete understanding of all truth, but as we follow Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, I have found that if we think we are divided, but we're both following Jesus, that at some point we suddenly realize we come together, okay? 
And usually that's in the midst of persecution, when we find out who's really our brother, who's really our sister, who really stands together with us, who's really following Jesus all the way unto the death by which they will glorify God. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody is going to be put in prison and everybody's going to die if they follow Jesus. If you read on in John chapter 21, um, Jesus indicates that, that John himself will live for a very long time and indicates it so well that most of the disciples meant, thought that meant that John would live until Jesus came back again. And then John explains, but that's not what he meant. <laughs> but John did outlive the other disciples, but he went through great persecution in his life. The one thing that is, is true for everyone is that if you're following Christ Jesus, then this is a life of carrying the cross and following after him. In John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus in his prayer as our high priest and he's praying for us, he said to the Father, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one, or that can be translated, and some of you might have this, but to keep them out of the evil. And what I want to share with you and talk with you about is that there is an evil, okay? And it is on the earth, and it was on the earth at the time of Jesus. Jesus spoke about the devil and said that he has nothing in me, that the evil one is coming, but he has nothing in me. And this is his desire for us as a church, that, the, that Satan, that the evil one, would have nothing to hold on to inside of us. Now that doesn't mean that you're never going to fail or commit a sin or anything like that, but that we're walking under and in the blood of Jesus, in the righteousness that he provides, under his forgiveness, under that blood, that we are identified with Christ. And because I am identified with Christ, Satan has nothing in me because I am in Christ. It's not because I'm so great. I'm sure there's plenty of things that Satan can find to take a hold of in me if I come out from under the blood of Jesus and just decide I'm going to do this on my own and in my own righteousness. I'm going to fail and fall flat on my face. But that he has nothing in us because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. One of the things I loved at the youth conference that we went to last summer was when the fellow by the name of Mark Hankins was ministering on In Christ. And then he gave this In Christ book to all the kids, and it has like, you know, every single verse that talks about In Christ in the New Testament, which is a whole lot, which is a, a wonderful Bible study for anyone to do. Well, you could do that for part of your Bible reading this year. Just find all the In Christ scriptures in the New Testament, who we are in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. We are in him. So Jesus said, I don't want to ask you to take them out of the world because God has placed us here on a mission. We have a great commission. We read it this morning when we read Vicki's baptismal certificate to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. But he says, I am asking you to keep them from the evil one to keep them out of the evil that is coming upon the earth. And this is a prayer that we can stand on in our lives. In Genesis, we read in the story of creation that on the third day, 
the earth brought forth the vegetation and brought forth the trees. And on the fifth day, the waters brought forth the fish and the other living creatures in the sea. But on the sixth day, we read something completely unique that belongs only to you and to me. That on the sixth day, when God created man, he said, let us create man in our own image. We were, our bodies are made from the dust of the earth, and back to the dust of the earth they will go, and yet they will not stay there because there is a resurrection. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, each one of us will be raised from the dead also. Because we were not made from the earth, we were not made from the water, we were not made from the sky. It's a fallacy to call the earth Mother Earth unless you're only talking about your physical body. But there's a lot more to me, and I think there's a lot more to you, than just the physical body, right? That's why I call it my body. Who's the me that's saying my body? It's the real me, the real I on the inside. We are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. And we are created in the image of God and created by God. Now I want you to think about something concerning trees. That if you chop down a tree, eventually, I got a Christmas tree, and it, and it fell down last night in the wind, because it's outside now, it was inside. We always put them outside then, because they last until, you know, like April or May, and it's really, really a fresh, beautiful tree, and it's out there on our back porch, and still got little lights on it. Well, it was laying flat down this morning, because the wind knocked it down. But I know it's still living, Somewhat, because the whole patio got covered with resin from the tree from it falling down. Okay, But eventually that tree's going to die, right? For one simple reason, that it's chopped down, right? It doesn't have any roots going down into the earth. So eventually that tree is going to die because it no longer abides in the earth. I think you know where I'm going. A fish, I like fishing, I love fishing. A fish is going to die really quick after it's taken out of the water. Right? It's going to flop around for a while. You might successfully get it home, and it might still flop around in your sink, but it's going to die because it's not in the water. And so it is true for man that we die and that we live a life of spiritual death when we are not connected to the vine, when we are not abiding in Jesus Christ. And even as Christians when we disconnect ourselves from the will of God and we disconnect ourselves from the truth and we focus on the lies that the world is constantly preaching to us and we allow our minds to be shaped by the propaganda and the lies of the Antichrist, we are thinking with dead minds instead of the mind of Christ. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell. I'm not saying you're not going to get to heaven. You know, I'm not going to go so far, but why even test the waters of the Antichrist? Why even see what's on the other side? Let us understand that our life is really being lived when we abide in God because we were created in the image of God. And then here's another thing. When a tree, a tree is chopped down, it, it dies, right? But the earth doesn't die. The earth doesn't suffer one iota from that tree being chopped, chopped, that tree being chopped down. There's more trees growing, right? And when a fish is taken out of the water, it dies. But the river doesn't die. 
it just keeps on going and there's more fish, right? People think that they can, that, that God is dead. I mean, I know nobody came to church this Sunday morning with that thought in their mind. God is dead. I believe God is dead and that's why I went to church this morning. But, but we live our lives under that lie that our whole age lives in. That there is no God. That God is dead. That, that God has no relationship to us anymore. He's irrelevant. And boldly, man has said for well over a hundred years that God is dead. All the philosophies, all the science of this world says that. Well, I just read yesterday in the news that Dr. Fauci, anybody remember him? That Dr. Fauci, when asked why we had to stay six feet away from each other, what was the scientific basis for that, actually finally answered, I don't really know, it seems like it disappeared out of thin air. What? There was no reason to stand six feet away from each other? Ooh, news. But the point is, everything that was believe in the science, believe in the science. You know, there, there's science, and then there's what the scripture calls so-called science. Or in the Greek, it's pseudoscience. And it's not truth. And we have to be discriminate. We have to know the truth. Because when a man is cut off from God, the man dies. But God doesn't die any more than the water dies without the fish or the earth dies without the tree. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, and we'll get to this later, it says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. A while back, maybe a month or two ago, I can't remember, oh, more than a month ago, I preached a message on the mystery of lawlessness. And I want you to know that this was written nearly 2,000 years ago. And as the Holy Spirit gave Paul these words and he penned these words, he wrote these things. He said, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And the mystery of lawlessness rules over the society and the world that we live in today. And it is a mystery. It's filled with dark secrets occult, uh, occultish things, things that are difficult to understand, things that you can't ever figure out, things that seem like complete idiocy and you can't understand who's in charge of anything anymore because it is a mystery of lawlessness. But we know from Re Revelation chapter 12 that it is Satan at work. He's called the dragon there. And it says concerning him, that he is cast down to the earth and he knows that his time is short and so he is attacking everything that God has made and specifically the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with great wrath because he knows he doesn't have very much time left. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. One of the lies of Satan is to cause us to think that our battle is against flesh and blood. Your, your battle is not against some politician. Your battle is not against some Dr. Fauci or somebody else. That our battle is not against flesh and blood, and it's definitely not against your spouse. It's definitely not against your children. It's definitely not against your parents or any of your relatives or any members of the body of Christ. Satan always wants us to be focused on an enemy who's not really our enemy. Our battle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6.12, but against the rulers, 
against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So even the rulers that rule over us, that have authority, there are spiritual rulers that are over them. And there are angelic forces. And we're going to talk, talk quite a good deal about, about that. In Daniel chapter 10, we'll get to 2 Thessalonians, but please look over there at Daniel chapter 10 real quick. In Daniel chapter 10 and in verse 12. Daniel chapter 10 and in verse 12. In fact, let's read, let's, let's read a number of verses here. So open your Bible, if you've got it, or your thing on your phone, whatever you got there. Look at Daniel chapter 10. And, and verse 12. Actually, let's start with verse 10. It says, Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem. O Daniel, man of high esteem. Now maybe your translation says that a little bit different than what I have here in the New American Standard because what it says in the Hebrew and what it says literally here is, O Daniel, man of great desires. O Daniel, man of great desires. And that's very important. Because Daniel is a man who desires to know the truth. And he's pressing through with fasting and with prayer to know the truth, to have a revelation from God. You know, in James, it tells us if any of you lack wisdom, then ask, in God, ask God for that wisdom. But ask in faith. Ask without doubting. And God will give liberally to you of his wisdom. The scripture says that without a vision, the people perish. But what it literally says in the Hebrew is without a revelation from on high, the people are unbridled. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. There's nothing more valuable to us today than a revelation from God, than an understanding and the knowledge of truth. And in order to know the truth, we have to have a love for the truth. And Daniel has that love. He's a man of great desire. O Daniel, man of high esteem or of great desire, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me, or fighting against me, for twenty-one days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I come to give an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. Now let me explain something to you. Daniel's been praying and fasting for 21 days. For three weeks he's been praying and fasting. And he's in quite a physical state. He's quite weak. And he won't give up. Because he has to know what the will of God is. He needs this revelation. He needs this truth. 
He needs this understanding. He's got quite a comfy position there. You know, he could just live out his days there in Babylon. He's kind of like a pretty important guy, and everything's pretty good for him. And it's not so great for all the others, but God's really promoted him. You know, and uh, uh, if he just plays by the rules and doesn't do things like pray up in his window and get caught doing that and then cast before the lions and all that kind of stuff, if he'd just kind of be a little bit more of a milder follower of Jesus and not have such a passion and a love for the truth, everything could be great for him. But he's not satisfied with that. He needs to know what's happening in the world he lives in and what's going to happen in this world because he's looking for a heavenly kingdom. He's looking for the Messiah. And so he, he loves the truth. And he's been fasting and praying. And I'm sure he starts to think, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Well, when this angel comes to him, he, he tells him. Uh, actually, I was dispatched from the very first moment that you started to pray. And even before you spoke any words, when the desire first came in your heart, I was sent by God to bring this answer to you. But, and maybe we don't understand this. Well, if God's all-powerful, then why is there a spiritual battle? Well, I could think of a lot of reasons, uh, but that would be a long teaching, and it has a lot to do with the sin of man, but um, let's just not worry about the reasons. What's important is there is a spiritual battle. And this angel who sent... Uh, with a message to bring, with a revelation to bring to Daniel, and it's not just for Daniel, it's for us because it's recorded in Scripture, he cannot get to Daniel. It takes him 21 days of warfare. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And he calls these demonic forces, I'll just call them demonic, they're fallen angelic forces that are allied with Satan, okay? And there's a lot of teaching you could do on that without getting into all the details, the, these angels of, of Satan, he calls them kings of Persia and rulers of Persia. He calls one of them the prince of Persia. Okay, Persia is Iran, modern-day Iran, and Azerbaijan and some other lands and all that stuff. But Persia is the east, okay? Then he's also going to talk about the, the uh, prince of Greece, and that's the west. And we still have the same two powers that war with each other to this day. And he says, this prince, of, this prince of Persia was withstanding me, and I couldn't get through until Michael, the great prince, this is the archangel Michael, came, and he fought alongside of me so I could break through and bring this through, answer through to you. Now, it doesn't say this specifically, but I am convinced from reading this that if Daniel had given up after two days or three days, he never would have got the answer. He had to stay at that bridge and defend it until he died like a soldier. He had to stay at that place and wait on God with that desire against all these forces or the message never would have reached through to him. He had to be in the place that God told him to be. And he had to wait for that answer. And that's a lesson for us today. He was a man of desire, a man who did not give up. And then verse 15, it says, When he had spoken to me according to these words... I turned my face toward the ground, and I became speechless. And behold, listen to this, one who resembled a human being. No, in the Hebrew it says, one who was like unto the Son of Man. And this is Jesus, okay? This is Jesus in the Old Testament, and he's appearing to, to Daniel. One who resembled a human being, like unto the Son of Man, 
the Messiah, was touching my lips. These, these, these words, Daniel knows what he's writing. He's talking about the Messiah. Was, be, the, uh, uh, was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. But how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? In other words, who am I to even talk to you? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance, this one like unto the Son of Man, sometimes things I don't like in my translation, most of it's good, but like unto the Son of Man, this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. Jesus strengthened him. And he said, Jesus said, O man of high esteem. Again, it should be O man of great desires. Do you have any desires today? What is it that you desire? Man, how I'd like to talk to the young people today. Wake up your desire. Desire something more than what this world is offering to you. Because what this world is offering to you, remember how Marx and some of those guys used to talk about how religion is the opioid of the masses? It's a complete lie. True religion is not. True faith in the Lord Jesus Christ awakens desires, stirs up on the inside of you a desire to serve God, to reach for something higher and for something better. The real opioid of the masses are the lies that Satan keeps telling. You know, sometimes I look at people in, in, in America today, and I remember what America was used to look like, and it's like people are just asleep. You know, I mean... Think about 1776. Could anything like that ever happen again? There's no way it could happen. Because people just don't care enough. You know, as long as I've got a little bit of comfort, I'm good. And I'm not saying we need to have a rebellion or anything like that. But, I mean, it's like a caucus. You can go and show up and vote. We used to have caucuses when I lived in Iowa. In Oklahoma, when I lived there, we didn't have caucuses. And moved to Iowa, I thought, this is cool. This is actually fun. You get to actually... Listen to people yell at each other a little bit. And talk about something. And I never yelled. I just sat there and voted. But, you know, participation. You know, get out there. You know, really make your voice heard. Get, you know, join in to, to, to something that's actually important. And I can give you something way more important than a caucus. It's called the Great Commission. To take this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the, to the dying, to the people that are going to hell, Yes, I said hell, and people don't talk about hell anymore, even though Jesus talked about it all the time. But people are still going to hell without Jesus. That's why Vicky got baptized this morning. Above everything else, to have eternal life, to follow Jesus. Follow me, Jesus said. So Daniel's called by Jesus a man of great desires. And he says, do not be afraid. Shalom, peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. We're going to get to 2 Thessalonians here in just a few minutes. 2 Thessalonians' message is this. Take courage and be courageous. Take courage and be courageous. Stop being cowards. Stop being afraid. Stop keeping your mouth shut. 
Stop twiddling your thumbs. Stop talking about it at home, but not talking about it outside the walls. Take courage and be courageous. Daniel needs this word. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength. May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. How did Jesus strengthen him? By his word. So why do you want to spend time reading the Bible every day? Because you need courage. You need strength. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one, listen to this, this is important. There, in 2 Thessalonians, it's going to be important. There is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. There are not very many angels who we know by name in the Bible. We've got Michael and we've got Gabriel. And Michael is the prince, it says, of what? He's the prince of Israel. Every, we, we have an understanding that different nations have princes that are over them. And Michael is the prince over Israel because he says he is your prince or the prince of your people. But I want you to understand, and we'll get into this some more later, that when we say Israel, and if you've been going to the Hebrews Bible study, you already know this, that the real Israel of God is by faith. And the real Israel of God is made up not just only of Jews, but of Jews and Greeks. That this is the prince who stands together with the Messiah. This is the prince who stands together with Jesus. This is the general over the armies of the Lord of hosts. And his name is Michael, the archangel. And so I tell you, people of God, that he is our prince also. And we are engaged in a spiritual battle today. The victory has already been guaranteed. That's why it's already been won. That's why it's called a gospel. Okay? What is the gospel? Well, people say, oh, well, that means good news. Well, it does mean good news. But in the Greek, this word gospel, or, uh, or um, how do you say that in English? Evangelia um, in Russian. The, the, the uh, evangel, I think. Probably that's the best way to say it in English. But we say gospel in English, okay? But this, this word, it means good news, but what it was is the word that a herald would go and, and preach to a city. He'd go into a city where there are enemies, and he would blow his little horn or whatever, and he would proclaim that my Lord, the conquering king, is coming, and he's going to get here, and he's going to take this whole city. So bow now and worship him, and will spare your lives, you will be saved. And oftentimes, the herald, this gospel preacher throughout the book of Acts, all the preachers of the gospel, were persecuted for the word that they preached. But eventually the king showed up, and everything they preached came to pass. So the gospel is preaching salvation to people, but it also preaches condemnation to those who reject the king of the gospel that is being preached. Now go with me over to 2 Thessalonians. I, I, we're not going to get through all this today. Okay. So 2 Thessalonians. Both the epistles 
to the Thessalonians were written. They're probably the earliest epistles that Paul wrote, okay? Except perhaps Galatians was written before them. But they're amongst the earliest epistles that, that he wrote. And he did not spend very much time in uh, Thessalonia. Tanya and I have been to Thessalonia before. Really cool city, really hard to park there. Really, really hard <laughs> to park. I, I perfected my uh, parallel parking skills in Thessalonia to the point that these little Greek guys at a cafe started applauding me. You did great. <laughs> that it took me like 30 minutes to get into that little thing. Ding, 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 ding. But really cool city. And there's a lot of ruins of the Roman period there. And from the time of the book of Acts, it's just filled with history. But Paul did not spend very much time there because the persecution was so strong. Okay? And he only spent about a month there. And in the time that he was in Thessalonia, he apparently preached about a lot of important things. Because we're going to read here, he keeps saying, remember how I told you this. Okay? And so he's writing these letters to confirm these things. And 2 Thessalonians, in, in particular, is what I want to call a message of God to the church today. That's very important for us today, at the beginning of 2024. Because it is a martial message. It is a call to battle. Okay, Everything about 2 Thessalonians is martial in character. It's an epistle that is characterized by a military spirit. And we're talking about spiritual battle. It is characterized by a call to fight for the interests and the rights of our God. To stand for the truth. And I'm going to go to chapter 1 right now. And what we're going to do is I'm just going to read through chapter 1. Okay? The whole thing. You get to hear a lot of Bible reading today. And what I want to ask you to do is this week to spend some time meditating on chapter 1 and go on into chapters 2 and 3 also and really look at 2 Thessalonians. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the background of the book and things like that like I usually do when we're teaching through a book or something because in my heart God just spoke this to me that this is a word, a fresh word that he's writing to you and to me today. So the background of it is our lives. The background of it is where we live in the world and in the age that we are today. So let me just read through chapter 1, read together with me. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, that's the same as Silas, to the, to the, the Paul's scribe, to the church of the Thess Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. I want to tell you today that I believe that this is what God is speaking to you. So listen to this. Your faith is greatly enlarged. You may still be people of little faith, but it's growing. <laughs> You're getting stronger. Your faith is greatly enlarged. And the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I mean, I can tell you last night at the marriage course, I watched people fellowshipping with each other in a church. Our love is growing. Our faith is growing. Therefore, 
we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and your faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. And I want to tell you that with the, what, what little scope we have to speak to other churches could we do in other places and in other countries, we always speak proudly of you. Because God is doing something great in Yerington. This is a plain indi indication. Listen to verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. And you are suffering, but you will suffer more. Okay? That's why I started with what Paul said to Peter, what Jesus said to Peter. That's why we're seeing Daniel, this man of great desires, to follow Jesus means to carry his cross. For after all, after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. That's in the New Testament. Did you ever read that Bible verse? I'm telling you, this is a militant, a martial message to the church today. That's in the New Testament. I mean, we've got this idea of this mamsy-pamsy God that's just like, nee, nee, I don't know what to do anymore, or God's dead. And what it says right here, it is just, it is righteous for God to repay. God repays. The Bible says that vengeance is mine, I will repay. Vengeance is not ours. We're not even equipped to handle revenge. It destroys us more than it destroys the people we want to take revenge against. We're not equipped and we're not built to carry hatred in our heart all the time. It's a time to walk in this place where we're filled with the peace of God. What Jesus says to Daniel is, peace be to you. And his word strengthens Daniel. And we put these things in the hands of God, but God is still a God of vengeance. And he is a God of justice. And just because he moves very slowly in our mind, that doesn't mean he's not moving at all. Because the wheels of justice always move slow to the person who's suffering. Always move slow. But they always move. And eventually they grind the grain into very fine flour. God is a God of vengeance still. And it says it is just for him to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Well, I've got news for you, and we'll see this more as we're going through this and in Revelation. If God is repaying with affliction those who afflict you, that means that they're going to start afflicting you more. Because Satan knows he has a very short time, his wrath increases. Things are not going to get easier, so we need courage, and we need strength that comes only from the Word of God. And God wants to give you relief. Do you believe that God wants to give you relief? Do you know that the Scripture says that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? If you're in a position where you think, I can't handle this anymore, Lord. I'm to the brink of, of just completely giving up on everything. Then tell Him that. And He's either going to lighten that affliction 
or strengthen you to deal with it. Paul got there. Paul, the apostle, he prayed three times. God, take the... And when it says he prayed three times, that doesn't mean he just said, dear God, take this away from me. He prayed and fasted three different seasons. Please, God, take away this thorn in my flesh. And you can read what the thorn in the flesh is. It wasn't that he had bad eyesight, like people say. The thorn in the flesh was that everywhere he went, Satan persecuted him. Everywhere. I mean, he'd just show up, hi, I want to tell you all about Jesus. And they'd start throwing rocks at him. I mean, it was hard being Paul. And he said, God, please help me just have some, some measure of popularity somewhere that somebody will say, oh, we're so happy to see you today, Paul. You know, please take this thorn away from me. And God says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. But I will strengthen you with my grace that my grace is sufficient for you because in your weakness, I'm proving myself strong. So God's either going to strengthen you or lighten the thing, but he's going to relieve you. Now, when I think of relief, I think more not in the sense of God taking the enemy away. When relief comes, that means troops come in to relieve you. I think more of the sense of God strengthening you. And I think that's what we're dealing with today that the evil's not going to go away, okay? But Jesus said to keep them from the evil. And so he will strengthen us, and strengthen us by our love that we have for one another, by our faith, and strengthen us with angelic forces, with forces on high that we cannot even see. But we need to start seeing them on the inside because they are there. He says, give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. So that tells me something else. It also tells me that the complete victory is not coming until Jesus comes back. So buckle up, take courage. There is a battle to be fought. But Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, it says in verse 8, he will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And we're going to get into this later, not today. But this truth is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You know, in the United States today, I want to say that most of our leaders do not know God. And most of the decisions being made, not all, but most of the decisions being made by our government and laws being passed and things like that, they are not in obedience to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the world that we live in. In verse 9 it says, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Hell. Right there in the New Testament. Oh, I thought that was just an Old Testament thing. Eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. See what it is, the lake of fire? It's not just the burning fire part. It's the part of being separated from God's presence. Nobody, nobody alive on planet Earth today has ever known what it means to be completely cut off from God. Completely separated from His presence. Complete darkness. Verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints. So he's going to glorify himself in us. And to be marveled at among all who have believed. 
for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire. Daniel, man of great desires for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you remember me talking about the mercy of God? I think I preached two messages on this. One of the things that God put on my heart for this new year is an outpouring of His mercy. And we talked about this Hebrew word chesed, okay, which is translated as steadfast love or loving kindness or mercy or grace, but it's all throughout the Old Testament. And it's God's mercy, it's His steadfast love that we enjoy when we are in covenant with God. Okay? And to be in covenant with God, we talked about this, means to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we see this so strongly in, verse, in chapter 1. I mean, the, the takeaway part of this is God is on your side and He is against the forces of evil. And there is a battle going on. Okay? And so take courage, be strong, and engage in the battle. Because God will send relief to you. The victory is ours. But do not give up. Some of you might live until Jesus comes back, like they thought he was talking about John. Some of you might be bound in chains and taken to a place you don't really want to go. But every one of us, if we endure until the end, will be saved. And this is the gospel that we preach to people. That there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, as the old preachers used to say. That there is no middle ground anymore. There never really was, but it felt like there was, but there is not anymore. So let's look at chapter 2. We're not going through the whole chapter. Just hold on. <laughs> I want to do just verses 1 through 3, and we'll end with this. And then we'll pick up with it next week. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Request is too weak of a word here. We, we beseech you, is what it should say. We beg of you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So this is talking to us about the time of Jesus' coming. If we are engaged in a battle, then this is very important for us to understand what total victory looks like. One of the problems that happens <laughs> with, with, with entire countries, nations, and it happens in businesses, it happens in families, that, that, that we have a difficult time establishing the parameters of victory. We have a difficult time establishing exactly what are we doing here? 
what means we bring the soldiers home now and the war is over. We just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And, don't, and, and eventually, everybody's like, I don't even remember what we were fighting about. What was this all about? You know, have we experienced that over the last decades? You know, that's what happens, okay? But God wants us to be very clear about the parameters of victory. He wants us to be very clear that we have an understanding of when our king is coming. Now, it's not the day or the hour. Jesus said you're not going to know the day or the hour. But to understand the season that we live in. So we're going to talk about the time, and then we'll move on. It'll be next week. But we're going to talk about the enemy. We're going to talk about God's plan for victory, and we're going to go kind of slowly through these first verses in chapter 2. But I want to draw your attention to something. Notice in, in verse 1, it's very important to Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. In other words, it's very important to the Holy Spirit that the Thessalonians do not get shaken from their composure or be disturbed. It's very important that they not be upset, that they not be worried, because there are people who are preaching that the day of the Lord has already come. Do you, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but there are people who preach that today, to this day. There are people who literally preach that the day of the Lord happened in 70 A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem, and so Jesus isn't coming back again. Okay? And Christian, supposedly, preachers that preach that. Okay? There are people who preach that the day of the Lord is going to come seven years before the day of the Lord comes. And you're going to be gathered together to him. It's going to be called the rapture. And you're going to be taken out of here. And you won't be here during the time of the great tribulation. Okay, there's a lot of people that preach that. The church I grew up in. The Bible school I went to. I mean, I was taught always that. Always that. Until I actually began to read the Bible and understand what it says. Okay? Because that's not what it says. In fact, he says... I don't want you to think that it's already come. Because if you think it's already come, then you're going to be shaken up. You know, there's people that were saying uh, with the, uh, you know, the whole COVID thing, everybody kept saying, but this is like a trial run for the mark of the beast and things. I mean, anybody ever hear stuff like that? Everybody was saying that. I mean, all, all over the place. You know, making you wear masks and everybody's just, yeah, let's just put a mask on, you know, and making you get a vaccine. That later they say, well, you didn't really need that and stuff like that. Probably shouldn't talk about vaccines because I think this goes out over YouTube and then we'll get canceled or something. But anyway, <laughs> who, who cares? We'll find something else. But, but a lot of people were saying, this, we, we don't need to worry about the mark of the beast. Because that's never going to happen to us because we're going to get raptured out of here first. That's the problem of people in this world, okay? So what's going to happen if you think, you know, 100% that we're never going to go through any trials and tribulations and then you start going through trials and tribulations? Well, you're going to be shaken. You're going to lose your composure. You're going to want to give up because you're going to always think that what I thought following Jesus means that I'm always going to prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. Well, it does mean that, but God's definition of prosperity and being in health might not be your American definition. I mean, people all over the world go through sufferings and trials and imprisonments and death in order to take a stand for the truth and follow Jesus. Why should we think it would be any different for us? So he says, I don't want you to be shaken by these things. I want you to understand the timing. And then he says very clearly, he says very clearly to them, let no one, not a spirit, that means somebody's prophecy, 
thus saith the Lord, and they give you some prophetic word, blah, 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 blah. But it doesn't line up with the Bible, throw it in the trash. You don't need that prophetic word. And then he says, or a message, somebody's sermon, or a letter as if it's from us, somebody's new Christian book that tells you this. Don't be shaken by these things. He says, very clearly, let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come, in other words, the day of the Lord will not come. Notice it doesn't say days of the Lord, it's the day of the Lord. Unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. This is the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So he says that day will not come unless there is an apostasy first. Well, I've heard many preachers say that this word apostasy is wrongly translated as apostasy. What it should mean is a catching away or the rapture. That first the rapture will come and then this day will come. In case you don't know what the rapture is, well, rapture is just an English word taken from the Latin uh, that is coming from the uh, Greek for being caught away. And it's a very true understanding that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we which are alive and remain, I'll look at this verse, uh, will be caught up together to meet the Lord in, in heaven, but not until the dead in Christ rise first. I'll get to that in just a second. Okay, I'm not losing you, am I? Okay, so a lot of people will say, you might hear preachers say this, that unless the rapture comes first. Well, that's just stupidity, okay? And I don't mean to offend anybody. But in the Greek, it is the word apostasy. And you don't have to know Greek to know what apostasy means. It means a falling away from Christ. And that has happened. You know, the United States today is a nation that has fallen away from Christ. We live in a post-Christian culture. Those Judeo-Christian ethics are things that we, as believers, hopefully, we still stand on those things, we still believe in Ten Commandments, blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff, right? In the Bible, we stand on the Word of God. But that is not what our nation stands on today. You read this in your... Uh, bulletins this morning, or Jerry read this, about Sanctity of Life Sunday coming up this Sunday. And praise God that, I mean, I'm really happy that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, right? But abortion hasn't stopped because they overturned Roe v. Roe v. Wade. Because most abortions don't happen in clinics anyway. And I'm not even going to get into that. Maybe we'll get into some of that more next week, okay? But, you know, Sanctity of Life is a lot more than just Roe v. Wade being overturned. It's people's hearts being overturned. Their hearts being changed. That's why we love supporting life choices because that's what they work on is saving those babies but saving the lives of the people that they would hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would hear the truth. So he says the day of the Lord is not going to come until an apostasy comes first and until the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. So let me just look at two verses real quick, and we're going to end here. I had a lot more I was going to try to get to today, but I didn't get to today. But we'll get to it next week. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. And this is not an in-depth teaching on the last days. 
although I've done that, but this is just showing it to you. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I'll read verse 51 and 52. Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. So there's a mystery of lawlessness, but there's a mystery of righteousness. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That's code word for die physically. Not everyone's going to die physically. But we will all be changed. We will all receive a resurrection body. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Okay? So the dead in Christ are rise first, and then we will be changed. So when does this happen? He says it very clearly, very plainly. At the last trumpet. You can just open the book of Revelation and read that there are seven trumpets. So the so-called rapture cannot happen before the first trumpet. It happens at the last trumpet. That's what it says. It says it really clearly. And it says that the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. This will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It'll happen so, and it won't be like those rapture movies you saw where people will be flying through the air like this. That's not twinkling of an eye. Even Superman, you still see him, okay? Twinkling of an eye just means like that. You know, you're going to be changed. And I don't know if airplane pilots are going to be taken out and airplanes are going to crash and all that kind of stuff that's in these movies and popular books all the time. I don't know. It doesn't even matter to me. I just know that I'm going to be changed. If I live to the day of Jesus, I'm going to be changed. And even better, if I've died already, because I'm going to be raised first. The dead in Christ will rise first. I actually have long thought this, and it's kind of silly maybe, but I always thought, wouldn't that be great if the moment Jesus came back, that I would be standing right at my parents' graves. So before I got changed, I could watch him come out. And then I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't know if I get to see him coming out. I don't know how that works. But I know that we are going to be raised from the dead that we are going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And it tells us clearly when this will happen. Then look at 1 Thessalonians, and I'll end here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. He's writing again to this same church, the Thessalonians. And he's writing to them. So actually, I'll start with verse 13. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Code word for dead so that you will not grieve as do the rest. He's not saying don't grieve, but don't grieve like people in the world grieve. Get over it. Get on with life. It's not the end. They're just asleep. They're going to raise from the dead. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. You have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive, and I could show this to you in the teaching of Jesus, but we don't have time today. By the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what happens first? Resurrection or rapture? Resurrection, right? And how many resurrections are there? 
You can read it in the book of Revelation. There are two of them, two resurrections. The resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the unrighteous that comes much later. So how can there be a resurrection? And it's called first resurrection. So there cannot be a resurrection before the first. And there cannot be a, a, a last trumpet before the actual last trumpet. So again, he's telling us clearly when the timing of this thing is. And I'll tell you in just a minute why this is so important. We'll end with that. He says, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That's where the word rapture comes from. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Do you know what comfort is? The English word comfort. I mean, I could go into the Greek of it. That's also really interesting. But the English word comfort. Going way back to King James days. Okay? Calm fort. A fort. It's when someone comes alongside of you and relieves you in battle. They comfort you in battle. It's not when somebody says, oh, everything's going to be okay and pats you on the head. It's when somebody comes alongside of you armed and they join with you and they relieve you in battle and you fight together and you're able to have the victory because someone comforted you in battle. It's a military term. And it's also this in the Greek that the Holy Spirit is your comforter. He is called alongside you to help you, to join with you. So he says, comfort one another with these words. Why is this timing issue? It's only the first thing we're dealing with here in 2 Thessalonians. But this timing issue, so critical. Because if I think that I'm never going to really go through any persecution or any trials, I am sadly mistaken. Now, you might be sitting there today and say, I just don't agree with you. I really believe we're going to get raptured out before the, the, the uh, time of the Great Tribulation. Some people say it's seven years before Jesus comes. Some people are going to say it's three and a half years before Jesus comes. All these different things. Okay, fine. I don't care. Believe what you want to believe. Okay? But realize this, you might be wrong. And whether you get raptured out seven years before or not, you are going to go through persecution before that time. So prepare for battle. Be courageous. Be strong in the Lord. And listen to and receive the word that the Lord speaks to you because that's the only thing that strengthened Daniel was the word that God was speaking to him. I don't know how much I can overemphasize this. I really think probably the most prophetic word you're going to hear this year came from John Snyder last week when he said, read your Bible every day. What more do you need? Spend time in God's Word. Get into God's Word and just listen to God's truth and let His truth fill your mind because if we are not lovers of truth, then we are not being saved because it's those who love the truth who are being saved. And the deception is great. And we will be deceived because Jesus said that had that time not been cut short, even the very elect would not have been saved. Don't think that you're so wise and so powerful that you can outsmart the devil on every move. Depend 100% on the Word of God. Rely on His Word. If it seems crazy, that just seems silly. I don't understand why God wants me to go and forgive somebody, you know, or why God wants me to do this or do that or walk in this kind of love or say these kinds of things. Why does God care if I cuss all the time? Everybody cusses all the time. Well, I just read an article the other day 
And blankety, blankety, blank, 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 they were telling me that cussing is now normal and it's okay and it's in part of the English language and some Oxford study and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to stand here and lie to you and say I never cussed in my life. I might go home and cuss today. I don't know. <laughs> hope not. But, <laughs> but I'm just like you. But is that really normal? To take the name of the Lord our God in vain? Now what happened to that command? Do we, have we forgotten the power of the name of our God? And the power of the words that we speak? I mean, everything in the Bible, if we just decided, let's actually live by the Word of God. Let's do what God says. Let's see what God can do if He can tame our tongues. If He can discipline our lives. Because, you know, and I I'm, I'm personally am happy for this, I've never been in the military and never had to go to war anywhere. Okay? Closest I ever got to that was playing football on a losing team in Oklahoma. <laughs> but, but, um, but you don't have to be in the military to understand what discipline is. If we're not ready, if we're not disciplined, if we don't know the difference between the truth and the lie, then we'll be taken out. We'll be deceived. And we'll be destroyed. And that's not God's will. God's will is to send us relief. Okay? Amen. So let's stand together. We do not have a song at the end of the service today. We've already gone to 11.30, but I've got a lot more to share with you from 2 Thessalonians. So just meditate on those things, look at those things, and open your heart to an understanding that God's love and the faith that is growing in our congregation, in our congregation, is happening in other congregations around the world. And that God is drawing a line. And I believe he has drawn a line. You know, you hear people talking about a multipolar world. Anybody hear about that kind of stuff? Because it's in the news all the time now. Multipolar world. There's no such thing as multipolar. There's only such a thing as bipolar. And I'm not talking about the disorder. The very fact that it's polar is plus and minus. And the truth is that this line on one side of it, there's, and we'll talk about this next week, there's Michael, there's Jesus, there's the heavenly forces that are withholding the power of the Antichrist. And on the other side, the Antichrist is just running with free reign. And you've got to decide which side of that line you're on. We have to be on the side of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word today. I just pray, Lord, that you would strike courage into our hearts. It would be a lie to say that we're never afraid, because we are. It would be a lie to say that we are people of such great faith, because we're not. But those disciples on that boat that were so afraid, you didn't say, O ye of no faith, you said, O ye of little faith. And then you told us that if our faith is just as the grain of a mustard seed, that we can move mountains. The only faith we need is just to say yes to you, to follow you, Jesus. And if that means stretching out our arms, being girded or dressed by someone else in clothes we don't want to wear and taken to places we don't want to go, but we're going with you, then we're going to go with you. We're going to go with you all the way. Because like Peter also said to you, when everybody left you, in John chapter 6, 
And you turned to Peter and the other disciples and said, well, you guys want to leave too? You're welcome to leave if you need to. And Peter said, no, we don't even know where to go because only you have the words of eternal life. Only you have the truth. And we love the truth. And we desire your truth, O Lord God. We give you praise and glory this morning. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.